Hi, I'm Josh. I'm Ken. And I'm TJ. Welcome to Serious Film People. For this episode, we are recapping our series in the 1944 films nominated for Best Picture at the 17th Academy Awards held in 1945. Gentlemen, we did it again. We've gotten through another series. Yes, we did. How are you feeling? Still not canceled. <laughs> I'm very pleased. Very pleased to uh, be this far on the podcast, to have another series under our belts, to t- get to talk to you guys about it. I'm delighted. We're just about done, aren't we? Like, we've done... Is this the 90th year we did? Right. Yeah, I think we've we've watched every Best Picture nominee now. Yeah, yeah we have. That's okay, right. So about, probably about two more series, we got them all done. Yes, that's exactly right. No, There's absolutely no doubt we're missing the vast majority of the years. It's They're not, they're not worth watching. Um, I am curious... Uh, well, just to recap, I guess, for audiences, we started off uh, a few weeks back covering Double Indemnity. Then we had moved on to Gaslight, then to Going My Way, which is the film that won Best Picture. Uh, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about uh, Since You Went Away, a title that I'm proud to still remember the title <laughs> of a couple of weeks <laughs> later. And uh, last week, we talked about Wilson. Um I'm curious, the two of you had um, less exposure to these movies than I did prior to the podcast, so I'm curious, let's just start, um, what, are your, what are your feelings after uh, running through these five for the, these 1944 films? Uh, Josh, let's, uh, I'm, I'm curious, how are you feeling after these five? Um, ups and downs, you know, <laughs> high highs, low lows, I think this is maybe the biggest breath of quality um in any year that we've talked about so far in terms of like what i liked the most versus what i liked the least uh there's a pretty wide gap um but you know hi hi so i'll say that and uh as i was saying off mic before we turn the mics on like pretty baffled by the academy choices now that i've like seen all five and have the full context like i'm like like i kind of get what they were doing what they were thinking but like you know with 70 years of hindsight i'm like woof there's some (laughs) there's some pretty tough tough decisions made by the by the academy yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a weird look. It's weird looking back. TJ? As I was thinking about this, I thought this is probably going to be a marker for me of what I think a very average year of Oscars would be precisely because I think there's, as Joss mentioned, like high highs, low lows. For me, the five of them, it's almost a perfect bell curve. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but just that there's kind of the extremes here of, I think there's there's like an all-time great movie among these five, and then there's um, two, like, that's some Oscar bullshit. And I imagine that kind of every year, we really kind of see that, at least within the past, since I've been Oscar watching the past, you know, 23-ish years or whatever, I feel like pretty much every year there's one or two movies that I'm like, yeah, you're right. That was a great movie. And then there's a whole lot of meh. And then there's one or two that I'm like, what the absolute hell. (laughs) Um, So I think this is, this is actually pretty like standard, good uh, exemplary year in that sense. I'm glad you put into three categories, which are great movies, meh movies, and holy shit, this is bad movies. Cause you're right. This year does have all of those. And (laughs) like, like you just said, a lot of Oscar years have all of those, but um it's interesting that like some of the movies here, the ones that we would call meh, I think, I can kind of see how people may have been taken by them at the time. And like every year at the Oscars, like there are movies that don't really stand the test of time, but people are really, really passionate about for about six months. And then like two years later, they're never talked about or thought of again. And I feel like that's <laughs> kind of where the meh movies are 
1944. Like, that's a pretty, like, you're, you hit the nail on the head. That is a very, like, Oscar-y thing to have that kind of movie there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess to your point, Josh, um, I mean, let's discuss for just a minute what's going on here in 1944, because you're right. These these are, these are films are aimed, as most films are, at an audience at a given point in time, and yeah. you, you can't ignore the elephant in the room, right? Like, w- w- what the audiences are experiencing in what their minds are focused on when they're not in the theaters. That Woodrow Wilson has just taken office and solved all the problems of the country. (laughs) With a swift stroke of his pen. (laughs) Yes, a rapid rapid stroke, by the way. Mm -hmm. This is a quick scene. He just fixed everything in a 30-second signature What you're talking about is, you're talking about World War II, Ken. Yes. You're talking about World War II. That is the elephant in the room. Yes. Is a world war happening uh, over in Europe and in Asia. Yes. Yeah, and... I mean, I, I kind of get, as far as we, we discuss on these recap episodes, whether or not there's an overarching theme, um, certainly World War II is pretty prevalent in three of the five. It is interesting that two of them kind of step away entirely from the war. Um, those are the, also the good ones. Right, I was going to say. The two good ones. I think we, I think we're <laughs> well, which, which I think goes back to kind of what Josh and I were just talking about, which is... It's, I think it's very hard to make a movie in the moment that responds to and engages with what's going on and withstands the test of time. And the movies that I think people typically get really, really passionate about for about six months and then forget about are the ones that are quote unquote speaking to the moment or yeah. the voice of a generation and the ones that are thinking kind of more broadly um, or about bigger questions that are not tied to their precise time. Or, or, or just tied to their precise time are the ones that do tend to last longer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To, to, to kind of carry it to that point, I think more specifically, one of these films, which I think all three of us agreed may have been the worst, we'll talk about that more shortly. I mean, the more the, more the film can be described as propaganda among this group, the less likely it holds up. In fact... Yeah. The, the less likely it holds up, it could not, not very long after it's released. To TJ's point, six months later, I doubt a ton of people were talking about either Since You Went Away or Wilson, frankly. Yeah. Well, did Ken, were you the one who said that Since You Went Away was like kind of propaganda y? I think a little bit. I think there's some propaganda. It's just not quite as on the. It's not quite. Have you softened on that a little bit since we watched Wilson? Oh like, yeah, it's not. It's nothing like. Hardcore. It's nothing like Wilson. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not that level. <laughs> but uh, we're kind of dancing around it, but like you know, Wilson is a movie about the present during World War One, and it's like so clearly kind of allegorical about what's happening in the world at the present moment in 1944. It's like a movie about World War One, so they can comment on World War Two, basically, and comment on, like, America's, you know, erstwhile isolationist policies, but, like, you know, morally and right righteously entering the war to save the world kind of thing. Like, that happening in the 19, you know, teens, and then, you know, making a movie about that in the 1940s is not an accident. Um, Since You, know, Since you Went Away is about the home front during the war, and about sacrifices and patriotism and blah, 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 and taking care of soldiers, blah, 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 whatever. And 
I get was the third movie about World War II going my way. I, I yeah, I throw that kind in of? there only because it's there. It's referenced the sub story between okay. Teddy and Carol. Right, he does technically yeah, go off yeah, to yeah. war, so it's it's not ignored. The war is brought into the movie, but it's just kind of an afterthought. They stick. I kind of like honestly that and since you went away we're kind of like merging my head a little bit and i kind of like th- forgot that that plot point going my way was not happening and since you went away which is um because it kind of it kind of does yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah oh yeah one one to a darker it, it's interesting you look at both of those films both of them result in our young man going off to war and becoming a casualty one has a much darker result actually since you went away yes. does not does not at all hide the fact that it sends, uh, it, it sends what's his name the the I'm totally blanking the character, but our uh, who cares <laughs> who cares what his name is the kid goes off and Farley gets Granger. Where's yeah exactly not Farley yeah. Granger sorry Robert uh, uh, the no. other one from Strangers yeah, on a Train from Rope yeah yeah the well, he's other also one in, from Strangers on a Train yeah, the other Robert uh, Walker there you yeah go. Robert Walker we're really good at this yeah we're, <laughs> we got retired Wilson really really took it all out of us. Um, no, but then going my way, it's kind of a comedic line at the end of the movie. If you'll remember, it turns out that he was like run over by his own guys, so well, they're shipping they him back. They start by turn- saying, "They start by saying, oh, he was injured in the line of duty, or he was injured over in Europe.'" And they're like, "Oh my gosh, what happened to him?" And then what actually happened to him was like not actually serious. It's kind of a laugh line. Like you just said, he got run over by his own guy, and he's fine. Right. I guess my point being, going my way obviously carries a much, much lighter tone to everything. It's more escapism. It also does really well at the box office. Um, Since You Went Away also did pretty well at the box office. It is interesting, though, we're talking about these three films, the fact that they all reference or tackle the war in some way or refer to the war in some way. Wilson did not make its money back. We discussed that last on last week's episode. No, it was a bomb. Yeah. It lost well, that's money. Also it, was, it was really expensive to make. It was like... F- Five times as expensive as like Double Indemnity, for example, another of its nominees. True, yeah, people. You're right. To your to your point, people did show up to see it. It's just not in the numbers necessary to cover its cost. But it also made it also did the worst business of the five nominees. Like I have that date in front of me. It like like not even close. It didn't even make half the money of the next highest grossing Best Picture nominee. So, so people people weren't buying into the propaganda. They were, however, yeah. buying into the schmaltz because <laughs> yeah, Going My Way does really well this year. And since you went away, well, since you went away was more sincere schmaltzy, but like going my way was like really schmaltzy. It's it's schmal it's melodramatic schmaltz versus comedic schmaltz. Fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they're both okay. they're both selling the same thing, and people are buying. Um, so normally we talk about like similarities we see between the movies, and we, we kind of are already doing that. But like I feel like that's the biggest thing, the biggest connective tissue between these best picture nominees. The biggest thing the Academy is like choosing to recognize and honor is that World War Two is happening, yep. and. Um, these movies are kind of like to varying degrees in varying ways uh, reckoning with the current situation, either by looking to the past and kind of trying to find an allegorical thing from the past to tell the same story of what's happening now, or by telling a, uh, like you just said, a uh, sincere schmaltz on the dramatic schmaltz on the home front or a lighthearted comedic schmaltz, but like still kind of like, you know, not ignoring what's happening, like, but kind of like, how would you say going my way is like, addressing the war it's kind of like giving like a 
more it's, of a hopeful like hey things are okay like if we have each other and like yeah, things seem bad but you can you can make them better etc kind of thing going my way is like a warm hug so it doesn't want to okay. it doesn't want to leave the audience feeling like oh remember all the death and suffering no no kid goes off to war and he gets injured because that's the reality of war but it's so everything will be fine in the long term we'll all be back together hence father fitzgibbons and his mother yeah once yeah. again together in the end but that's that's another thing is like um Bing Crosby shows up and like comes to a church where like the the local neighborhood boys are kind of up to no good always, and the priest is kind of too old and like not really uh, doing his full duty. And like he, Bing Crosby comes in and like kind of cleans everything up, and, like makes everything better. So I think he kind of kind of can't ignore that aspect too, where it's like I don't know a very hopeful, optimistic like we can make a better future. And and the way that since you went away was about kind of here's what the women are up to while the men are away going my way is kind of like when you get back the trusted institutions will still have your like back the church yeah yes, that's a very good point yes very, very 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 good um and i guess so those are those three and then the other two movies trying to draw parallels between them um if i can jump in here there's with those two films and then with a couple other films that i'm going to talk about in our next segment there is a really heavy uh, psychological interiority. There's a noirness. There's a gothicness. That's kind yeah. of the other, I, I think, like aesthetic uh, hot button thing at the time. That is both of those two films and some others that I'm going to mention. Yeah, that it's it's noir coming out of the post war era that we talked about with the anxiety of, uh, you know. The failure of men's psychosexual uh, impetus toward violence. Politics. Yeah. Yeah, I was and, gender politics and the role of women in these yeah, stories. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then there's also like a calling back to a gothic period where it's suggesting that kind of the mores of society that were Victorian have let us down but still haunt us in certain ways, literally in one Gat of the movies I'm going to talk about. Because um, Gaslight's a period piece. It takes place, what, in like 19, early early 1900? Yeah, it's, it's 1890s, early 1900s. 1800s. Yeah. yeah. I was just like agreeing with you. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. No, that's the end of my point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, so like, Ken, do you have any similarities between these two besides World War II and uh, complicated psychosexual politics? <laughs> <laughs> I think... <laughs> Well, I think on some level, there's a through line, I guess, to some degree between Going My Way, Devil Indemnity, and Gaslight in the sense that they're more escapist. Going My Way, we mentioned, it it references the, the, the war almost as an obligation. It has to. It can't ignore it. Um, but the film's not about the war by any means. Uh, it's a feel, Like I said earlier, it feels like a warm hug. It's a feel-good, lighter comedy um, with charming characters involved, Double Indemnity Gaslight are obviously not lighthearted. They're not, you know, particularly charming, but they're, they're escapist in the sense that they're not about the war. Correct. Like they're letting you forget about the war for a bit. Exactly. They're they're crime they're they're crime dramas, and they're they're particularly good. I think we can agree. Um, so they they do the job. I mean, people show up, and they did show up in decent numbers for both of those yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, so we talk about the Academy as far as who hands out the awards and who which one of these films get the awards. The audiences did show up for Double Indemnity and Gaslight. So to be fair, um, people out there, there was an audience for that kind of movie, and they were embracing it. To TJ's point, there's a couple others out there we can talk about a bit later as well. So this is not unusual. These films are not like the unicorn among the war pictures in 1944. 
to the to the credit of the slate we have here as well and how kind of variable it is even if it's not of consistent quality consider the range and tone that we have oh yeah um you've got sleazy sleazy dark yeah. gritty nasty double indemnity and then going my way <laughs> um or and Wilson for that matter yeah yeah, yeah. uh which is maybe sleazier than double indemnity <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Nowadays, but, yeah. but then consider as well the representation of different genres here we mentioned you have noir you have a victorian psychodrama you have musical you have war film on the domestic front and then you have biopic and Again, I, I would not argue that these are the five best films of 1944, but I think some credits due to the variety of pictures they were able to collect in these five. Look at you, TJ, trying to find some kind of silver lining in the group that we have here. TJ, well, that, the Academy's number one fan. I was going to say, that's the role <laughs> I always play, isn't it? No, you know what I, I was thinking about recently? I should start a little corner where I call myself the Oscar Grouch. <laughs> Mm, I love that. Yeah. I'll even write it. I'll write. I'll write theme music for that. <laughs> there you Ooh, go. Perfect. Yeah. Uh huh. Because um, oh. that's pretty much what I am. I am the Oscar Grouch. Um. <laughs> I, I can't wait till the episode where we do a crossover with Sesame Street. This is going to be so great. Sunny, <laughs> Jason. Uh, do we want to talk about other movies from 1944? I'd love to because uh, these this this list of five is not my preferred list. Um, I love Double Indemnity here. I love Gaslight, but um, I'm a little uh, I'm a little lost as to why we don't have uh, a couple of others in here. Um, because of World War II, we already discussed this. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's just it, it's hard because of the films that I'm more likely to revisit. Um, first, that comes to mind. I don't know if either of you have seen it. I think maybe we'll, we'll talk about it. Otto Preminger's Lara is in here, uh-huh. which is another. Another nominated for best director. Yeah, another noirish. Exactly. Yeah, Preminger's nominated for director, but the film is absent for best picture. That's a really good film. I mean, so yeah. good that Brittany and I rewatched it this afternoon. I swear we had some free time, and I hadn't seen it in a while, so I wanted to revisit. It's a really good movie. It's a brisk eighty minutes. Yes, yeah. so quick. I made a list of 1944 movies to watch during the series that weren't nominated for best picture. I watched none of them, so I apologize. I didn't do my homework, but this was number one on my list for a non-best picture nominee from 1944 that I wanted to watch, and I'll I'll keep it on my list. I will watch this at some point, but I didn't get to. You it. you should yeah you should. It's if if you liked Double Indemnity and Gaslight, yeah, um, it's yeah, in yeah. that realm. I, so. I don't think it goes as kind of dark and sleazy as Double Indemnity does. No. Or as psychologically probing as Gaslight does, it's kind of more of a mystery. It's a little bit quirky. Um, so I can't. I'll let you. <laughs> you brought no, no, it up, and now I'm riffing on it. Um, also, Vincent Price shows up again. I was just about to say, yeah, Vincent Price is in it again. It's it's a detective story. It's a good. It's a solid mystery, and you got some twists involved in the movie. It's a it's a it's a really really good noirish film from the 40s and it's doing some you'll see similarities between what the cinematographer and Lara and what Preminger is doing in Lara um, to what we see in Bill, from Billy Wilder and the, the team behind Double Indemnity as far as the lighting the use of shadows um, it's very very much in the, the, the realm of a noir uh, detective story so um, yeah Lara's it wins best cinematography. Black yes, and white. I'll say that. Right. Yeah, yeah. It beat out Double Indemnity for black and white cinematography. I'm not sure I I would go so far as to say that. I really I'm quite partial though to Double Indemnity. Um, I, I 
truly love that movie. Laura, though, is not one to sleep on. Uh, it's one I definitely recommend. And I love Clifton Webb's performance as Waldo Lidecker in that movie. He's <laughs> such a weird character. And yeah, um, I think the, the proper term would be a feat. That's his yes. He's that is his his opening uh the introduction to his character is he's like typing the voiceover narration in a bathtub. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> uh, he was nominated for supporting actor but lost to uh the guy in Barry Fitz- away, right? Yeah, he he yeah. lost to Barry Fitzgerald. To be fair, I guess they were going to have to give Barry Fitzgerald something considering they nominated him in two different categories <laughs> as we discussed. <laughs> they felt obligated. Um although Speaking of um, supporting actors, um, I often, I don't know why I do this, but I often got um, Walter Brennan and Barry Fitzgerald confused as supporting actors. Even though Barry Fitzgerald is very Irish, Walter Brennan's not. But in my head, for some reason, I often get them mixed up. Walter Brennan is in a film in 1944 called To Have and Have Not, starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Um, it does reference the war a little bit. I think it's set in like 39 or 40 or something. And there's references to the French resistance and kind of, uh, trying to get supplies across the Atlantic because it's set in the uh, Caribbean, but it's another noirish, uh, I don't want to say it's, I guess, I guess you could call it a thriller. Um, because the focus is more, it's kind of like Casablanca. The focus is more on Humphrey Bogart and his leading lady. Uh, but it's another solid, solid, uh, watch, at least for me. Tough to find. This was on my list of movies I want to watch from 1944, and I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. Um, like, not even rentable on Amazon, which oh, really me out. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I've got it. I bought a DVD collection of, like, this has had to be almost a decade ago, of um, Bogart and Bacall movies. Mm-hmm. So it's in the set, obviously. That's yeah. the only reason I've been able to watch it or rewatch it well, over this the years. Is, this is the one with the famous... You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just yeah. put your lips together and blow. Oh, that's this one? That's that Which, one. Yeah, if you is... haven't seen the SNL parody of that with Kate McKinnon, it's very much worth your time. <laughs> yeah. This is, which means, this, to TJ's point, this is the first uh, Bacall and, and Bogart pairing. This is this is really what made Lauren Bacall a star um, and what ignited their, their famous romance. Um, uh, a cool tidbit about this movie is it's based on a novel by Ernest Hemingway, but the yes. screenplay is by William Faulkner. Yeah. And if you know anything about American literature, one, I, I like always forget that William Faulkner wrote screenplays because he was poor yeah. um, uh, in order to make money because his novels did not sell right. uh, at the time. And the other thing that's really interesting, sorry for the brief literature corner, is just considering their writing styles and how vastly different they are, that Hemingway's is that minimalist very direct prose and Faulkner was high modernism with stream of consciousness. And just the idea that Faulkner was adapting (laughs) uh, Hemingway's work into a medium that wasn't really his first language is really fascinating to me. An impressive, an impressive work though from Faulkner because the film works like it's a really, really good adaptation of a Hemingway novel. One of the better ones of the era. So I guess surprise, surprise, you can entrust Faulkner at this time period uh, to pull off something worthwhile. Um, a lot of credit, though, I think must go to the, the, the crew and the cast. It's a really solid cast. It's, and I mean, it's, it's part of that group in the mid forties. It's the Bogart group. Um, a lot of the usual, I don't say the usual suspects, but that's, that's kind of the term you would, you, you would probably use to describe that kind of movie where, 
Um, you've got people like Walter Brennan popping up and you got Hoagie Carmichael. Um, and uh, it's a bunch of ragtag kind of ne'er-do-wells uh, in a contemporary time period uh, trying to skirt the law. And none of them are particularly nefarious. They're all kind of understandably uh, motivated by by common interests, like interests that an audience would accept as being a reasonable motivation. So um, it's another another good one worth a watch. I'll also throw out one more movie, uh, if I can, one more title. Uh, Arsenic Old Lace is a personal <laughs> favorite of mine. It stars Cary Grant, and it's adapted from a pl- stage play. If you've ever seen the movie, it's clearly adapted from a stage play, but it might be one of the best types of that film I've ever seen. It's a laugh-out-loud screwball comedy um, with some really great performances, physical comedy performance from from Cary Grant. You've got um, Peter Lorre is in a supporting mm. role that is uh, particularly fantastic. I love it. And the two actresses, two little ladies who originated the roles actually on Broadway for that particular play, they play Cary Grant's aunts, and they're hysterical. <laughs> um, I highly recommend it. I usually, I'll be honest, I watch that at least once a year sometime around Halloween it is one of our it's in our rotation of, of Halloween themed movies that we particularly like. If I recall that was high in your top one hundred list. Uh it's in my top one hundred. I really I can't I can't speak enough or speak highly enough about that movie. Um and again, I think the fact that I don't usually love when uh, when directors try to experiment and take a, a, a clear stage production and just shift it to a, a, a film where it literally there there there's like a there's clearly a fourth wall where the camera exists and we almost never see that side of the room the space is basically the net, the, the the usual proscenium we only see the room or the spaces from one side um, and everything is blocked very much like it would have been uh, on Broadway that said uh, it plays really really well and a lot of the credit has to go to um, Frank Capra, the director, for knowing how to stage stage the scenes and stage the production just so that the comedy uh, comes through so well. Uh, so big shout out for that one as well. Nice. If I can mention a few, uh, the first one I'd like to talk about is Ivan the Terrible Part One, directed by Sergei Eisenstein. This was a movie that was uh, commissioned to be three parts commissioned by the Russian government. And after Stalin saw part one, part two had been completed. He's like, ain't no effing way you're going to make the rest of this because it was supposed to be a basically like the Wilson of Russia at the time. (laughs) And it ends up being a, wow, Ivan was kind of a terrible guy that led to the destruction of his people. Remind you of anybody? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so part three didn't get made. I believe they shot six minutes of it. And then Eisenstein died. But part one was released in 44. And what a what a picture. Eisenstein is known traditionally for these social realist movies where he employs dialectical montage. Like if you look at something like Battleship Potemkin or Strike or October, where a lot of it is almost essayistic in the in the collision of images in them. He completely abandons that in Ivan the Terrible and goes for this like theatrical, exaggerated, um, very carefully composed images, but still keeps his shock close ups that linger really long on these like frozen facial reactions. 
So at times it's very comic, but then there's also these just incredible compositions, like when the army is marching away and the depth of field, I swear, is like 500 feet from this, this like iconographic silhouette of his face dominating half of the frame. And then in the back, you see the army like marching away that he's sending. It's a really fascinating and kind of crazy movie. So if you get a chance to, to check that one out, I highly recommend that. And real quick, anybody who doesn't know who Sergei Eisenstein is, uh, one of the most important people from the 19, like 10s and 20s making movies. Is that fair to say? Right. He's, He's easily one of the most, one of the foremost uh, filmmakers from international cinema. So, like, if you're kind of kind of invented montage, is that fair to say? Uh, dialectical montage, yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, incredibly, yeah, big deal. incredibly influential. Again, particularly outside the U.S. You figure if everyone yeah. thinking about film really exploding here in the U.S. in both New York and then in Hollywood once it's being developed in the twenties. Um, to be kind of the epicenter of the industry, there's still plenty of filmmaking going outside the outside of America, outside of France, and Eisenstein is one of those. He, he's pretty much the first big name coming out of anywhere else other than Western Europe and America. I guess I didn't really realize he was still making movies in the 40s, but I mean mm-hmm. that makes sense because mm-hmm. the 40s that weren't that much far beyond the 20s when I know he was making movies. When I know he made Battleship Potem- Potemkin. I'll be honest. When I took a glance at other films from 1944, um, just trying to, to kind of jog my memory as to what else came out this year, I was also like Josh. I was a little thrown because I'm like, oh shit, was Eisenstein still alive? Yeah, <laughs> not for it long. Seem like in my head, it doesn't seem like Sergei Eisenstein should be making movies at the same time as like. Alfred Hitchcock, for example, right. even though they definitely had like a, a decades overlap, but it just doesn't seem right. It might yeah, be, it just seem like different eras. He he dies, I think, in forty eight, uh, and Ivan the Terrible Part Two comes out in sometime in the fifties because it was banned in Russia um, under Stalin's regime. Uh, radical shift. I watched two short experimental short films by Maya Darren called At Land and Witch's Cradle. I don't have a whole lot to say about these. They're each about 15, 20 minutes long. I'll say they're incredibly uh, economical. They're very provocative in their imagery. I would need someone to teach them to me, or I would need to really go back and study them to understand entirely what she's doing there. But she's an important feminist filmmaker um, from the era. Probably her most famous film is Meshes of the Afternoon, which I think popped up at like 27 or 23 in the new Sight and Sound poll. Um, Yeah, so she's a pretty important figure in film history as well. Um, Ministry of Fear by Fritz Long. Fritz Long put two films out this year. One's Ministry of Fear, the other's The Woman in the Window, which you can't find The Woman in the Window except as a Kino Blu-ray that costs like 30 bucks. So I was going to be waiting so that one out. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate because it's, it's got Edward G. Robinson. I disagree because you can turn on Netflix right now and watch The Woman in the Window starring Amy Adams and <laughs> Gary Oldman and yes. who, whoever else is in that movie. One of the worst movies made in the last five years. Yeah, unlike unlike the original, actually yes. pretty well received. Um, I have never seen it. I do remember, though, Edward G. Robinson in particular is supposed to be very good in that movie. So he's also having kind of a banner year because yeah. he's, he's obviously, we, met, we talked about him quite a bit, Double Identity. Um, so Ministry of Fear, uh, later Fritz Long says it was not one of his favorite films of his, and it's adapted from a Graham Greene Graham Green novel, and Graham Greene did not like the adaptation because it takes a lot of liberties. I did think this was quite a fun movie, though. 
listen to just this beginning. A guy gets let out of an insane asylum. He goes to a fair where they're like, hey, you can bet on the weight of this cake. And if you get it correct, you win the cake. And this lady comes up and is like, hey, you need to go over into that fortune teller tent like right now. So he goes into this fortune teller tent. The lady reads his palm and she's like, here's what you need to guess in order to win that cake. And he's like, why are you telling me this? Why do I care? So he goes and does it, gets it right, and is walking away with the cake. And this other guy comes in and is like, uh-uh. Uh, you actually said the wrong number. It's my cake. And then he goes, oh, well, the first bet I place is actually closer. So I win the cake. So he gets on a train. He's on a train and this blind man gets on. And is like, hey, can I have a piece of your cake? Then he stands there and he crumbles the cake. Just crumbles it like that. A bomb goes off. So the train stops. The blind man turns out not to be blind, beats the protagonist with his stick, steals the cake, runs away, and gets blown up by a German bomb. This is like 15 minutes into this movie. It's, you gotta watch this movie. (laughs) I feel like I'm insane just listening. (laughs) I was watching it. I'm like, why is this guy, what is with this cake? It's it's a really, it's a cool movie. Um, And then just two more real quick. Uh, Lifeboat, Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat, which I think Ken seen for best director. Yeah, yeah. Josh yeah. just mentioned Alfred Hitchcock. The fact that he's a, he and Einstein have overlap of their careers, and Lifeboat's yes. an interesting Hitchcock entry. Yeah, a quick again like eighty four minute movie takes place entirely on a lifeboat, um, and it's about these Americans who one of the people that they pick up out of the water after the boat sinks is a German captain, and. They basically argue, what do we do with this guy? Especially because he's the only one that seems to know like where to go for us to survive. Yeah, yeah. They have to decide with how much they want to trust the guy. Yeah, um, interesting taut thriller based on the works of John Steinbeck. Sorry, I remember the first time I ever saw Lifeboat um, was kind of I had to have been like ten or eleven or twelve, working through some Hitchcock movies, and I remember at the time the the big thing about that movie was how does Hitch fit himself into the movie because mm-hmm. it was one of those little Hitch, Hitchcock yeah, always he has walk, to, in, walk on cameos in all his movies yeah and he plays a dolphin in this film yeah exactly that's right you're Wait, seriously de- yeah. no <laughs> okay no like, I won't give it away I, I won't give it away but he gets creative and I'm glad <laughs> just a little Hitchcock had a little fun yeah <laughs> and then the last one I watched was uh The Uninvited which was directed by Lewis Allen and it's yeah it's a fun movie a lot in the tone of gaslight except maybe a little bit goofier like it, it is kind of funny there's a little bit of the like brother sister banter battle of the sex banter going on there but it's these brother and sister that decide to buy this beautiful old kind of castle in england right on a cliff with the shores and they're able to get it for a relatively cheap amount of money from this commander who's like hey if you ignore the fact that like someone said it was haunted i'll give it to you for cheaper and they're like no big deal there's no such thing as haunted houses. Well, as it turns out, the house might be haunted. And uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It's not particularly scary, but it's it's a fun gothic thriller that I liked. So that's my um, roundup of other 1944 films. I will I will throw out, this is not one I necessarily would have preferred to see nominated for Best Picture, um, like some of those other ones I mentioned earlier. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, I'm, yeah. I have a very complicated relationship with this film. I've, I've 
saw it when I was a little kid. My, it's one of my mother's favorite movies. I've seen it many, many times. Far too many, probably, for one person's lifetime, I will say. Um, it's it's not a bad musical. It's just when you watch it too many times, it's kind of like seeing Wizard of Oz over and over again. You just kind of get tired of it. That said... <laughs> That's not, you don't get tired of Wizard of Oz. What are you talking about? I, I kind of do sometimes. I <laughs> that, Shout out for Wicked. I'm curious to see what uh, how Wicked turns out. Um, I'm not very hopeful, but we'll see. Maybe they'll be able to adapt that into a decent movie. Um, but anyway, Mimi and St. Louis. <laughs> one of MGM's, I think, better musicals, actually, from this era... Um, you got Judy Garland pretty much at the peak of her career and really, really doing a fantastic job. The reason I mention it in particular, though, and I, I said, I said this to you guys before we started recording. This film is one of those Technicolor movies of 1944. It's nominated for cinematography of a color film. It doesn't win the Oscar. Wilson does, and we discussed last week. Wilson doesn't look that great. Looks terrible. For every saturated, weird shadows, not a, not a good looking movie at all. For as tired as, as as I may be of Meet Me in St. Louis, it does look good. It pops off the screen, and it just it's it's amazing to me that somebody anybody thought Wilson looked better because Meet Me in St. Louis does look really good for a film from 1944 shot in Technicolor. I think that was the second movie on my list of things from 1944 that I wanted to check out. Laura was number one. This was number two, partially because it's got a pretty good reputation and partially because we're all from st louis so it feels weird that i've not seen me Mm -hmm. in st louis like so i'll get to that eventually too yeah i I definitely recommend a watch for anybody um particularly anybody who likes musicals definitely have to watch it i'd recommend it generally uh just don't watch it at one or you know at least once or twice a year for like a decade and a half you will because you will get sick of it it'll just be in your head i can just i can hear i can hear little margaret o'brien screeching in several of her lines in my sleep so return to the movies that were nominated for best picture in 1944 may i please go through um some stats i.e oscar nominations box office and letterbox please do and we can talk about our own respective opinions and rankings okay um let's see so again double indemnity gaslight going my way since you went away wilson uh oscar nominations the most for the night were for going my way and wilson with 10 apiece and since you went away is right behind him with nine so the three you know world war ii or world war ii adjacent movies got nine or ten nominees nominations and then gaslight and double indemnity are bringing up three with seven and as i noted before we turn the mics on pretty impressive like how many nominations these all got because nowadays because we have 10 nominees like they it's spread a little more thin so like you might have a best picture nominee with two or three total nominations but these all have seven at least um and then for wins uh going, going my way won seven oscars i know we talked about in the episode but like just kind of looking back at that's wow and then wilson won five do we mostly all below the line though right yeah do we think i does wilson benefit being original screenplay oh okay oh that's right do we think it's such horseshit that's such horseshit it's it's unbelievable looking at the categories though wilson definitely benefits from being the only one of these five that's in color because it's got it wins several it wins a couple of those categories that the others can't art direction Yeah, yeah yeah also keep in mind every movie that came out that year was nominated for best score (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. true. There's like 30 movies on the first score. It's crazy. Um, okay, so seven wins for Going My Way, five wins for Wilson. Uh, Gaslight coming in with two wins. And then Since You Went Away, 
one, only one Oscar win out of its nine nominations, and Double Indemnity, 0 for 7. <laughs> if that's not an indictment of the Academy Awards, I don't know what is. Like, if I ever get, like, down on, down on the Oscars for ignoring a movie I liked or giving Best Picture to a movie that I didn't like as much, I can just look at 1944 and be like, they, they've never had it right. <laughs> they have, they've always sucked. They're terrible at this. As the resident Oscar grouch, I'm not the least bit surprised by that. <laughs> that's It's unfortunate, um, though. It's... So that's how the Academy ranked these. Uh, you you might say that they ranked them going my way number one, Wilson number two, either since you went away or Gaslight number three, and then the other one number four, and then Double Indemnity in the in the five spot based on how the Academy treated these. That might be a something of something like the rankings. Box office wise, uh, since you went away made seven million dollars in the number one slot. Uh, going my way right behind it at six and a half million dollars. So. Both are, you know, about the home front during World War II. Um, so audiences responded. Double Indemnity come in with $5 million for the third most amount of money of these nominees. Gaslight right behind it at 4.6. And then pulling up the rear, again, less than half of uh, the next movie on the list is Wilson, which only made $2 million. So again, since you went away, seven. Going my way, six and a half. Double Indemnity, five. Gaslight, 4.6. Wilson, $2 million. I think that costs like five million I was, to make. Yeah, I was going to say, the problem, the problem for Wilson, it really, it the, the big standout there is the fact that for the time, it just, it was so expensive and didn't make anywhere near enough money back. Like, it's just, that's a crazy loss for 1944. Like, there's not budget, I'm looking at the other nominees real quickly on Wikipedia. There's not budget information for all of them, but... Like since you went away, since you went away, had a budget of three point two, which is a lot. Gaslight had a budget of two million. Uh, Double Indemnity was made for less than a million. Um, so the fact that Wilson cost five is insane, and then it only made two is is that's rough for Wilson. But you know, maybe deserved. Um, to, to jump in, to jump in real quick about what what you're talking about with Double Indemnity. I, I you know we have argued that the cinematography should have been awarded we've uh, maybe it should have won best picture maybe it should have won best director i think perhaps the most egregious one is the screenplay um i like going my way but it loses best adapted screenplay to going my way and just for context the wga ranked the top 100 screenplays uh i believe for english-speaking films and this was done in 2006 and Double Indemnity was the 26th best screenplay of all time, according to them. I'm surprised it's not higher, honestly. Like, yeah. Um, real, real quick. I, going my way does not make the list. Just uh-huh. Here's the thing. Let's underline that like really hard. Double Indemnity, highly praised for its screenplay. Some We're, we're talking 80 years later. That category, though, Going My Way beats Double Indemnity. It beats Gaslight. It beats Lara. And it beats Meet Me in St. Louis. Now, looking at that list, we've talked about Gaslight on the show. We talked about uh, Laura just a little while ago. The fact that Going My Way is one that takes screenplay, it's really glaring here, looking at some of these other these and other for movies. What, for what it's worth, now I have not seen either of these two movies, but the Wilson screenplay beats out two scripts by Preston Sturges. <laughs> and Preston Sturges <laughs> is regarded oh. as one of the best American screenwriters of all time, particularly he owned like the 1940s. In a five-year span, he wrote like eight masterpieces of comedy. Um, so, ouch. That's tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the best adapted screenplay category. Like, I mean, you were just talking about it. Going My Way beat out Double Indemnity. It also beat out Gaslight. Yep. 
and beat out Lara, which I haven't seen, but like, I don't know, man. Double uh, Going my way was fine, but yeah, Gaslight and Double Indemnity losing her are tough for me. Um, anything else in the Oscars or can I move on to Letterboxd? Let's, let's hear what Letterboxd has to say. I'm curious. All right. Uh, I mean, let's take some guesses, uh, cause it's probably not that hard to guess. What do you guys think is the lowest rated movie of these five on Letterboxd? Wilson. <laughs> Hope to God, Wilson. It is Wilson. <laughs> but Wilson, Wilson has a three out of five, which is not bad. Okay. And th- that just, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't catalog how many, uh, uh, like votes these all had, how many ratings these all had, but I can't imagine many people have rated that on Letterboxd just because it's a uh, it's com- it's a movie completely lost to time as far as I'm concerned. Maybe people get people get confused. They think that's the one that has something in common with Double Indemnity and Gaslight because all three involve n- nefarious personalities. Wilson just hides it much better. <laughs> sure, <laughs> uh, Wilson has a three out of five on Letterboxd. Uh, fourth place. Uh, fourth highest since you went away Going my way wow my way, wow yeah yeah, yeah. uh they're not far apart since you went away is number three so going my way is a 3.3 since you went away has a 3.5 so letterbox and i wonder if that's the um people knocking it because it won best picture and people are more are harsher on it compared to since you went away also it, it's it is significantly lighter in tone where since you went away maybe yeah. people give it a little more credence because a little more respect because of its its yeah. tone yeah, uh, second place, not really surprisingly, Gaslight, which has a four out of five, which is a big jump from Since Went Away, which is only three and a half, and then uh, Double Indemnity, 4.3 out of five, which is wow. uh, quite high. That's good enough for number 162 on the letterbox top two. Films. No kidding. That's Yep. That's nice to hear. <laughs> so again, Double Indemnity, 4.3, Gaslight, 4, Since You Went Away, 3.5, Going My Way, 3.3, Wilson, 3. I think that's pretty fair. That's that's not that's not terrible. Yeah, I think that's it's not surprising. Let's put it that way. Which I I, uh, I can we can we move on to discussing? Uh, well, actually, do you have any additional comments or any uh, insight, Josh? Having looked on Letterboxd, anything you're seeing that stands out to you about these five? I think I read I I read ratings for all of them in their respective episodes, and I did not like seek them out again you could just go back and listen then but uh, i do have in my spreadsheet here the letterbox rating or the letterbox average rating and then my letterbox rating and ken's letterbox ratings we can transition to that <laughs> i I, don't, I think i think we might be i don't know if our ratings will be on par but i think the order will be can we rank them and then we can decide uh what how would we rank these compared to how they can rank them the, etc this might be the the least the, the least the most anticlimactic ranking we've gotten so far tj what's your what's in your five spot wilson wilson is also in my five spot ken is wilson in your five spot is, yes or, right. or to quote tom hanks wilson yes oh not much else to say this movie is just really bad and i think we said it in the episode i think it's the worst movie we've watched i think and it is too this is uh let's see this is our 37th episode and we've done one, two, three, four, five, six series. So we've is there our thirtieth movie we've watched? Is that right? Am I doing my math right? Not only is it worse than Out of Africa, it might be worse than going to Africa and getting syphilis. <laughs> um, I no, think no comment. I, I, I think I, I'm fine sitting through Wilson. I don't need to buy a farm in Africa. It's really bad. Anyway, uh, Ken, what's your four spot? My, my four spot is since you went away. 
That's also my four spot. TJ, what's your four spot? Since you went away. <laughs> Since you went away. Uh, I like this significantly more than I like Wilson. Oh, I agree. I mean, I just, we, we just shat on Wilson pretty well, bad. Like, because for you, it was half as long as Wilson. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, I did watch, I think, the second half of this movie on one and a half speed. That's true. That's something I did. Um, don't feel like I missed much. <laughs> but um, this isn't bad. Like, I, I would recommend this to some people. Depending on their disposition and what kind of movies they like, or I mean, it, it stars Claudette Colbert. That's it can only be so bad, right? I mean, it, and it's okay. it's got some yeah, it's got some some worthwhile personalities in there. I don't know that I could actively recommend this movie to people. However, it is a curiosity, so I would definitely, like you said, maybe yeah, certain people under certain circumstances, I would probably throw this movie out there as something they should take. Temple. Old teenage Shirley Temple in there. I uh, will. I, fun. <laughs> I might, however, inform them. But if you're going to watch it, um, you should check out my friend Josh's concept of watching a movie like this, because uh, it just will, watch it faster yes, than it was intended it to be watched. Yeah, save you some time. <laughs> uh, hey man, when I listen to this podcast, I will be listening to it at one and a half x speed. So I'm just that's just how, that's just the life I'm living. Just to just to counteract you, I'm going to listen to it at zero point five speed. <laughs> We sound drunk. <laughs> Hello, I'm Josh. Okay. Um, in my three spot, I have Going My Way, hmm. the eventual Best Picture winner. TJ, what do you have in your three spot? Uh, I also have Going My Way. <laughs> Ken, sweep it? Yeah, I got Going My right. Way. <laughs> um, yeah, it is funny how this is working out. That we uh, <laughs> Not only are we all in agreement, but we all are... Um, in reverse alphabetical order. I was just going to say, it's, we're going, it's kinda, we're going in reverse order yeah. of our, yeah. our um, episodes. Like we said, Going My Way is not bad at all. Like, it, it's it's charming. Um, I don't have much of a relationship with Bing Crosby, but I, I, I liked this just fine. Uh, it was a little long, but, like, this wasn't bad. I, I would also recommend this to certain people, depending on their disposition. Not not everybody by any means, but, like, this is, this is okay. It's an inoffensive nice little comedy yeah. it's just the the standout the standout problem is that it it's the winner that's the only reason why it gets pushed back that is yeah that, that's the problem um ken is your number two gaslight good guess how'd you how'd you come to that conclusion <laughs> just, I'm, I'm really intuitive because it's also <laughs> my number two tj what's your number two actually no um i i did a little flipperoo on this one and my number two is double indemnity I think you're. I think you're lying to me, TJ. I think you're trying to gaslight me. I'm gaslighting you. It's <laughs> gaslight, bitch. Uh, I sought out that bit. I had that bit sniffed out, <laughs> sniffed out from the get go. <laughs> Josh was like, just like Ingrid Bergman. He's like, is he lying to me? Am I losing my mind? Uh, gaslight's pretty good, man. Gaslight's pretty good. It I is. Like, yeah. It's a, yeah. It holds up too. Like, yeah. For a film that it doesn't get quite as much attention of the era, it. Uh, I mean, except for the fact that we've we've adopted the the, the term, but we've gaslighting became but, popular because of this movie, and because of that, I feel like the movie had high expectations in my mind. Like I'm like, okay, okay, movie from 1944. You're gonna create a term that's like entered our modern parlance. Let's okay, let's see if you're worth that. And it is. Yeah. It's mm. good. It's really good. I I'd recommend this to like a lot of people. I think maybe not everybody, but like, it's creepy. It's got a nice. Uh, what did TJ call it? Victorian. Yeah, uh, yeah it's got like ghost situation. It's got that gothic feel to it. That yeah, so it yeah. is. It is kind of a Victorian kind of, not kind of ghost movie. I guess that there's the feeling that there might be. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly for and, the I character. Mean, 
as we said in the episode, I kind of, I, I don't know if take issue is the right word, but like I kind of hold it a bit at arm's length because it does have like a, hey, this woman needs saving kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, our guy Joe Cotton, <laughs> our hero Joe Cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still good though. Very good. Yeah. Which leaves number one. My, my number one person is double indemnity. I don't know about you guys. I will double down on that. All right. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I think we got a, we have a clean sweep of all five. This is this is the cleanest ranking. We've, we're never going to have anything like this ever again. Number one, I, I'm not sure we'll ever agree on order ever again, and let alone all agree on the order and have it be in reverse alphabetical order. Yeah. Uh, I'm so tickled by that. It just it looks so nice in my spreadsheet. It looks so so clean and pretty. If you've been listening to all of our episodes for this this uh, um, this series, I do apologize because it sounds like it was a bit downhill as far as our enthusiasm for the movies, uh, clearly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what are the chances that we start high and end so, so low? I mean, just to put a bow on Double Indemnity, uh, one of the great movies yes. ever made, uh, one of the great movies you'll ever see, uh, my favorite movie from the 1940s, for sure, and there's some good movies from the 1940s, um, holds up beautifully, um, I don't really get sick of watching it, it just fucking slaps, if you haven't seen it, dude, what are you doing, <laughs> like, go put it on, uh, it's really, like I said at the start of the podcast, very high highs and some pretty low lows, as in, like, Wilson, worst movie we've watched so far. Double Indemnity, top five movies we've watched, probably, I think, if I was making a it, list. Yeah, it's certainly up there. It's one of the, I mean, uh, it's up there with Jaws, No Country, and There Will Be Blood, would be other things that I would be thinking. Uh, you know, it is an all time must Cuba's watch. Nest. Yeah. Yeah. It's better than like other entire slates of nominees that we've discussed, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's heads and tails yeah. above anything from 1985. Mm-hmm. Better than anything in 85, better than anything in 48, probably. Um, um, and uh, it's, it's Sierra Madre. I think Sierra Madre is pretty great. Okay. I might put it above anything from our last series from 97. I know we've got some disagreement potentially there, yeah, but Double yeah. Indemnity is really that level of a movie. Um, no matter, I think it's probably better. I'd probably put it above yeah, most things from no, 97. Yeah. No matter your opinion on LA Confidential or Titanic, um, I think, yeah, Double Indemnity is kind of a standout. I mean, Double Indemnity, LA Confidential would be a fucking sick double feature. Like, <laughs> yeah, they should re-release mm-hmm. that. Let's get a let's let's go ahead and get a double confidential. And I think Gaslight and the Snake Pit would make a good double feature. I can't tell if you're being serious. That would elevate no, the snake. I would. That would yeah, that would okay. elevate the Snake Pit quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Would. That would help. No, I mean, what's a better double feature, Snake Pit and Gaslight, or Snake Pit and Cuckoo's Nest? Because that, that, I think, would not elevate the same pick. The same no. pick looks like dog shit compared to Cuckoo's yeah, Nest. Like, I wouldn't, yeah, you'll I wouldn't watch do, one and be like, what is this? Direct, well, you'd have to start with the snake pit, wouldn't you? But that wouldn't... Yeah, um, yeah I like the other combo better. Gaslight and snake right. pit. Ga- Gaslight actually probably would elevate snake pit as opposed to Cuckoo's Nest, which would just, you know... Mm-hmm. It's like eating a steak and then eating a piece of bologna. <laughs> the order, the order is like, important. I like bologna, yeah. yeah. Or a vegan uh, hot dog. Hey... No, yeah. vegan burgers are really good. Vegan hot dogs are trash. Okay, they, they haven't figured out pig's anus yet. They have not. The, no, the taste and texture. It's really bad. Thing. Yeah. Do we have anything else to say about 1944 and the movies not for the best picture therein? I don't. I, I, do, I, I don't. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready to move on to that point. TJ, can you tell the listeners what we're uh, what we're going to be kicking off with next week? We are headed back to the future, ish. 
Uh, <laughs> we're not going no tj you are not taking us back to 1985 yes. josh and our listeners and i we've all done that already i had a farm in africa <laughs> uh no we're going to 1963 1963 um and the pictures that we'll be watching are america america cleopatra how the west was won um what's the fourth one Lilies of the Field. There we go. Lilies of the Field and then Tom Jones. Uh, we got some long run times in this bunch. <laughs> These things are beefy. Yes. <laughs> beefy they, movies. We got some long movies coming. So uh, start now. And our next episode will be Elia Kazan's America, America. Hey, name and names. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, that, I think that takes care of 1944. Um, I think it does. Like, subscribe. Josh, they can follow us on uh, our Patreon account, right? Where uh, Patreon.com slash Serious One People Podcast, where we're having bonus episodes and stuff. Uh, as of as of this recording, TJ just released a very long first part of an essay on Oppenheimer, yep. which you can read if you pay a couple dollars a month, which is uh, a good essay. I recommend it. For the for the sake of not false advertising, um, I sell it as a essay on Oppenheimer, but the first part, which is about 3,200 words, doesn't yet get to Oppenheimer. That's coming in part yes. two. So yes. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Highly anticipated part two. Uh, yes. This is a side. This is, you know, because we're not yet to to the Oscars recognizing films for, or for 2023. Um, shout out. I'd still recommend. I imagine there's a possibility it's still playing in theaters. For the listeners, if you haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, by all means, go check it out. This is coming out October fifth. I kind of <laughs> doubt it will still be it, playing in theaters. The, the fact 5th. that film we're, we're recording this as of today, it just hits like six hundred fifty million dollars at the international box office after a month. Okay, and it's still in three thousand something theaters. <laughs> Not even a month. It's only been out for like three weeks at, as as of this recording, but it'll been out for like three months by the time people hear this. Speaking of which, this is coming out on October fifth. Uh, assuming this comes out on October fifth, my dad's birthday was yesterday. So happy birthday! Happy birthday, oh, happy um, birthday Mr. Bradley! I will be. So amazingly impressed if he's still listening 58 minutes into the 1944 recap episode. But if he is, happy birthday, Dad. He loves us. And, He'll uh, listen. He is actually one of our number one fans. Oh, that's great. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's the number one, but he's like among he's he's among the nut. That's top. awesome. That's nice to know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's all I got. So, uh, unless you're going to say more things as host, I'm just going to say uh, thanks for listening and come back for 1963 and goodbye. Bye-bye. Have a great week.